Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of On Point. And it's my absolute pleasure to have Beth Johnson on board. She is the co-founder of Speak Up for Women. She is a formidable advocate for the rights of women, has been leading a number of campaigns across a number of topics. Um, I've heard her speak. In fact, had the great privilege, Beth, of joining you on a free speech coalition uh, live and really appreciated your thoughts and insights. And so I'm, again, delighted that you've made the time to come on and well, again, talk about what Speak Up for Women speak up for. So welcome along. Great. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Simon. Um, if I speak too fast, just um, <laughs> tell me to slow down. I'm a, a bit of a babbler, but um, yeah, I really appreciate um, having another chat with you. Um, yeah, so Speak Up for Women, we, uh, we formed in 2018 and we came together in opposition to sex self-identification proposals which were uh, within the Births, Deaths and Marriages Act. So those um, clauses had been inserted into the Act after public consultation had closed. Uh, and they're really controversial clauses. And, and so we were concerned um, about the nature of the clauses themselves, but also about um, this sort of short sheeting of democracy that was going on um, when they were trying to get this through without the public being aware. Um, so we formed um, a sort of a lobby group, I guess, um, to campaign and put public pressure on the government um, to reconsider uh, pursuing the bill. And that worked. Um, in 2019, Tracy Martin deferred the bill. She got advice from Crown Law that said that, yes, um, you know, these clauses are uh, major changes. They impact a lot of different um, knock-on effects to other laws. Uh, they potentially conflate sex and gender in law. Um, we can talk about more of what that actually means. Um, and then also um, Crown Law said, yes, and this is not good democratic process. In fact, you're leaving yourself open to legal challenge because you haven't gone to um, public consultation. So uh, Tracy Martin deferred the bill at that point. Uh, and we obviously were really happy, um, but then rolled forward to a new government. Um, Labour didn't put sex self-identification in their manifesto, so they have no mandate for it. Um, but... Um, they're barging on with it anyway. Um, they've pushed it through to its second reading, and now they are taking it to public consultation because you know it's a bit of a box ticking exercise um, yep. just to show that they've done it, and so no one can challenge them afterwards. Mm, we can talk more about that, but yeah. Oh, it's, look, it's good that you called that out. I mean, there's a, I mean, there are some fundamental principles here, and you've touched on some of them already. The notion of sex, gender. I mean, gosh, the very notion of women, and we're going to get into that. Well, you yeah. will be able to do more than, there we yeah. go. Obviously, I'm not. Um, but, um, but well, how do you know? You haven't declared yeah, it. <laughs> let's be controversial now. But it's, yeah, the political process is uh, very untidy, to, to put it mildly. And even watching some of uh, your team and others speak to the select committee, uh, look, firstly, kudos to you. But mm. the response has been awful, dismissive, and arrogant by some of mm. the committee. It's just mm. quite, quite disturbing, really. But you're saying that obviously Speak Up for Women is relatively uh, new and I, I assume you've got uh, women and women's groups, if you will, sort of falling under an umbrella. Is that one way to think of it? You've got a diverse range of people. Yeah, so we are an exclusively uh, female-only um, group and um, we have uh, – it's quite a loose grassroots structure. It truly, it truly is grassroots. So we, when we came together, there's no structure. We're not a, a legal entity. Uh, there's sort of four of us that call the shots and, and run it, uh, and there's about I 200. Like, I like yeah. this structure. <laughs> 
it's not democratic, right? So we, we, we'd be the first to admit that. Um, but it's, you know, we're an activist, lobbyist yep. group. Um, and so um, we came together organically from about 20 women at the time who were concerned. And um, people had different strengths and weaknesses. I'm um, PR, comms, marketing. Um, so I talk, <laughs> basically. Um, so that's kind of where I fell into it and did the social media and other people did the, you know, we've got... Um, we've got doctors behind us, we've got some pretty heavy-hitting lawyers behind us, and they don't want to be public, but a lot of the writing on the website, you know, after talking to me, you'll, you'll read it and you'll know I didn't write it. So there's a big group of um, really, really smart, and that was one of the first things that made me realise that, you know, we could actually make a difference was the calibre of the people in the group. Um, you know, they are, they are just yeah, outstanding, and so, uh, yeah, we started with about 20, uh, and about four of us sort of became the coordinators pretty quickly but now there's over 250 um, in our group uh, and we've got thousands of supporters yeah. Um, so yeah we, we're growing and people are trying to join us all the time um, yeah well you certainly made an impact again from my limited role if you will and it, it's it's been quite striking but obviously the big topic of the day is around the birth deaths and marriages and mm. I know it's a simplistic question to start with, but it is that difference around gender and mm. sex because actually mm. the two terms are being used mischievously, I would say, and interchangeably these days. So do you sort of yes. tease that out a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So sex is um, biological and gender is sociological. Uh, so sex um, relates to basically our bodies and speak up for women believe that sex exists and that it matters sometimes. So, for example, you play sport with your body, not with your identity. Um, when you're in a changing room at the swimming pool, you see bodies, you don't see, you know, you see naked bodies, you don't see identities. Um, and so we just feel really strongly um, that, yeah, sex is real, bodies are real, um, they matter sometimes, and that we shouldn't replace in our laws sex with the idea, this new idea, of gender identity. Um, so gender identity is a new concept. It's out of American universities in the 1950s. Um, and it's this idea that everybody has a sense of their own gender. And that can be male or female or uh, non-binary or genderqueer or gender fluid or gender flux or like the 79 different genders. And 79 now, I was up to 62 a few weeks ago. I'm clearly, I'm clearly behind. <laughs> it could be, it could be 62, it could be, they're adding them all the time. Um, so it's a it's a controversial idea, um, and it's an ideology essentially um, that everybody has this identity. Uh, and so what this law is doing is it's saying that this these self declared identities uh, matter more than biological sex. Uh, and now it all sounds great to let people self identify, and of course people should be allowed to present themselves however they want and wear whatever they like. Um, you know, no, like I. I mean, I've got a short hair, I was always a tomboy, you know, I, I embraced gender nonconformity, but that's not what this is about. This is about saying an individual at any point in their life for any reason, um, without any hormones or surgery or any physical changes, can just declare that they are the opposite sex and be treated for all purposes as if they were. So, um for example, we see um, examples um, in prisons overseas uh, where these policies have been in place and um, inmates have post-conviction transitioned by just declaring it, no physical transitions, and then gone on to um, sexually assault and even rape women in women's prisons. You can see what's happening in women's sports. Um, and so 
you know, that this area is fraught for women um, because we are, um, we're not the inferior sex, but we are the weaker sex. We are more vulnerable physically. Um, and that's just, a, that's just a biological truth. That's just a physical reality. That's nothing to say about intellectual capacity or, no. um, how, or, or whether or not we deserve equality. Um, it's just a fact. Um, but in the, in the, there's a couple of factors happening here. One is um, this desire that women are equal um, is driving this idea that sex doesn't matter um, from this ideology. And also the idea that everybody should be able to declare their own identity. Um, and our government has bought this wholesale. Um, and I should just level with you, Simon. I don't know if you know or your listeners don't stop listening to me when you hear this. I've always been um, a Labour voter, or well, Green voter, actually. But um, What? No, no kidding. Yeah, That's right. before, <laughs> before the Green Party, it was Labour. And this crosses all um, left-right divides because just like the free speech issue that we'll talk about crosses left-right divides, this is an issue of what is material reality. Um, and, yeah, the Labour government has in the Green party as well have bought into this postmodern idea um, that nothing has meaning unless you construct it through language and therefore if someone says they're something they are um yeah <laughs> it's oh, too insane I, to even try and start explaining what's happening but, the, yeah look yeah. i'm a um a philosopher before politics and um yeah. this stuff does my it's fascinating at one level because it's crazy uh but it yeah. does my head in and mm. yeah when should also add political affiliations. I get people on for a whole range. For me, it's the ideas, yeah. uh, which are important, and fundamentally too, and we probably will touch more on that when we get into sort yeah. of the free speech side of things, yeah. is actually respect for different opinions. Mm. Um, mm. But fundamentally, most of our laws, most of our ways of interacting are based on, as you say, material reality, and we build from there. And you, well, sorry, I can't help wonder what sort of world we'll end up with if it's just based on simple Belief. I mean, without me yeah. ranting too long, we've, yeah. we sort of went through that in the Middle Ages where everything was about belief. Didn't end we well in a lot of places. We separated the church and the state for a good reason, right? Because if it's just, yeah. if it's not, not based on anything objective, if it's purely ideological or, you know, this is akin to a, the idea of a gendered soul, that you have this sort of essence that's your gender and only you know it, you know, that's, that's a religious concept um, and it's oh. not quantifiable. So no, how can we legislate around it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's why I find it weird. I mean, my background's actually in the religious sector. And it's funny, as someone who believes in the separation of church and state, yeah. I am seeing, if you will, new dogmas, new religions coming in where, yeah, belief yeah. is is uh, trumping, again, the reality. And I'm being told mm. at times to, to to go against even my conscience to say, well, I have to, I have to ignore what I'm seeing, hearing, smelling, mm. sensing, and, and mm. believe something else. Very... Very odd. Um, but yeah, yeah. And to come to, to say the reality, you know, to say um, our, our political opponents, including the Green Party and certain Labour ministers, you know, they, when we started saying what we were saying, they immediately called us transphobic and bigots, um, that you can't say that it's hateful. And these ideas, and, and what we were saying, what we were literally saying is that biological sex is real, that it sometimes matters, and that... Um, a male person who lives as a woman is still a male person. Now, that's not a value judgment. That's just, you know, a fact. And we were saying, so given, you know, given that that's a fact, how, let's talk about how we create laws that um, enhance those people's lives. Um, you know, they, they shouldn't be discriminated against in housing or employment. Yeah. You know, that 
the violence and abuse, like all of that we need to deal with, um, major issues in healthcare, you know, all of those things. Um, let's deal with all of those while also acknowledging that uh, a 45-year-old man who's fathered three children and, um, you know, would have in the olden days have been called a cross-dresser or a transvestite who gets off on, um, you know, dressing in women's clothes, you know, they're called autogynophils, we know they exist, that that person who chooses to socially transition to live as a woman so that he can, you know, fulfil his his um, paraphilia in public, which, you know, is, is a small a small but significant portion of, of the overarching umbrella, um, that that person is actually a female and that they should be able to take women's scholarships and um, take women's places on the podium um, and fulfil female quotas in the boardroom. Um, it's just recognise it separately for what it is. Don't say it is what I am. Well, that's sort of what, again, I, I struggle to get my head around because, I mean, you firstly touch on the point that all of us deserve respect of however we want to manifest ourselves. Uh, that goes without saying, but you quite rightly to me, um, and yeah, doesn't mean that I have to agree with it, but I, I do. It's that yeah. the, fun, the fundamental point is that there are some elements where your biological makeup, mm. your sex in this case, actually does make um, a difference, yeah. uh, and it is objective. And yet, I don't know, for me, you talk about the 1950s where a lot of this started to, to formulate, mm. and mm. for me it's bizarre because it started by, I think rightly separating gender and sex. Mm. So it was sort of accepted initially that sex was, you know, it's immutable, there's two of them. Um, yes. um, and even intersex is effectively going to be a blend <coughs> in mm. some way. Mm. But the agenda, mm. we began to explore as a child of the 70s and 80s, we were being told there's multiple genders and gender mm. roles. Okay, that's mm. fine. Mm. But it seems to sort of come back together now that all of a sudden, just as we were able to change genders at times and gender mm. roles, now we can, mm. again, change a biological. Yeah. And why has this got so much traction? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a whole other podcast, why it's got so much traction, but there's billions and billions of dollars in pharmaceuticals behind it because it's this idea that humans can actually um, change sex. Um, and it's the coming back together, as you say, of sex and gender. So um, now a lot, of, uh, a lot of times people will say that they have, they are a woman when they've made no physical changes. So I direct your listeners to Alex Drummond as a classic example. He's got a beard. He's had no physical changes, um, but he um, wears dresses and he goes into schools and teaches children that he's a lesbian. Um, and this is in the UK, but this is where we're heading. Um, so no biological physical changes. It's all apparently um, a belief how he feels that he is, or she is, Alex. Um, and, um, yeah, it's this idea that sex and gender um, are sort of separate. Um, you can pick whatever you are, but the social, the, the way society is structured is at the moment based on sex, not gender. So it's a deliberate cutting over. Oh, it says you've lost connection. I can still camera. hear you at the moment. Okay, so. well, that's fine. Yeah, you probably don't need to see me as I rant anyway. I'm sure that'll <laughs> come back on at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, the, yeah, the, it's a... It's, a, it's an ideology and it has come out, come out of, it's come from queer theory in the 1950s in, in America. Um, Judith Butler is one of the main proponents of it. Um, but it's this idea that it's gender that matters, but not, and gender is more important than sex in all cases. Yeah, it doesn't play out well for women, though, when you follow it through to, to what it really means. No, well, that's the... Suppose that's one of the many concerns in my mind. The first is, again, just 
divorcing ourselves from anything that's objective. I, I don't mm. think that leads humans in a very good direction. I think the second element is that uh, beliefs have a place, but they, they can't, again, trumpet the objective empirical truth and the things that are before us. But the other mm. element to me, and again, I you know, happily acknowledge I'm a man. Uh, so again, why I'm saying that is because, you know, I need to be led better by yourself and other women. But yes. it's almost as if women have been erased. Um, yeah. I know that's been a, a word others have, have used, but women's experiences, terms that you would have traditionally been comfortable with it, with it, it in some ways being, well, not some ways, it's been erased. It's been removed, women's experience. Mm. Mm. Um, is that something, you know, Speak Up for Women had a view on? Oh, and look, we've seen it coming for, for years. It's absolutely true. And the reason that as feminists we became so suspicious of it so quickly is that that, that erasure of language wasn't happening to men. It was only happening to women. So you would see, for example, um, a cancer charity in the UK um, was calling anyone with a cervix to come and have a smear. You know, um, anyone with a cervix needs to have this. Um, but in the same week, the Prostate Cancer Society was talking to men to come and get their prostates checked. Um, and it was the same charity. It was literally the same one within two weeks. So women become people with a cervix and men are men who need their prostate checked. Um, and, you know, there's, there's problems. There's problems there, obviously. Like, for example, if you've got English as a second language, you might not know that you you're, you are with a cervix. You know, you need to be told that women of this age, you know, uh, so there's language issues there, but it is a total erasure. And we've seen um, even... Um, in New Zealand, it's starting to happen, certainly in Australia and Canada and the UK. Lots of breastfeeding um, support groups are becoming um, gender neutral. So they talk about chest feeding rather than breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. um, women are called uh, menstruators rather than women. Um, and, yeah, it's been broken down into our constituent body parts um, in order, supposedly, not to offend um, the minority of people who um, are transgender. Um, and we should talk about, um, just to back it up a little bit, that, um, you know, most people, when they hear the word transgender, they think of the transsexuals who um, suffer extreme gender dysphoria. So that's a real deep discomfort with your physical body. And they pursue um, hormones and surgery um, to live as authentically as they can as the opposite sex. Um, and they have that feeling from a young age and it doesn't change. Um, and we probably all know, um, although there's not that many of them in New Zealand, somewhere between 200 and 500 um, transsexuals, um, and they've had the surgeries and, and that's who they are. Um, but since 2015, this word transgender now overarches transsexuals, and under that transgender umbrella, you now have, as I mentioned earlier, the transvestites, the cross-dressers, the autogynophils, um, the part-time part-time cross-dressers, everybody now can fit under that transgender umbrella. Mm. And so 80, by one estimate, 85% of transgender people have no intention of having um, surgical or medical interventions done on their bodies. And now I don't think necessarily that people should have you know, things done on their bodies if, if it's not going to make their lives better, absolutely. But you do have to ask then, in what way have you changed sex? If you haven't done anything to change your body, you've just declared an idea so yeah I just wanted to clarify that sort of concept no, oh I think it's important I think it for me it's also one of the telltale signs when you can't actually interrogate words and language properly mm. um, what I found in politics and before mm. is that often when you get into controversial areas terms are being used but when you try to again delve into them 
tease it out a little bit and people get very resistant. Um, yeah. You're usually on to something. And unfortunately, transgenders become one of those, not only a very broad term, which, mm. as you say, captures a number of uh, people and motivations, mm. but also uh, woe betide anyone who tries, as I'm sure you and others have found and speak up for women, as you try to get into it and go, well, hold on a moment, mm. not all mm. the same, yeah. There's this huge resistance. You are, you're oh. not allowed to. Well, supposedly. You're not allowed to. Well, we're not even allowed to. I mean, the Labour government believes in, in um, so Dr Kerry Kerry, sorry, I know she's the Green Party, but during the select committee, she called me transphobic. Um, and her reason, her example of it, was that I had called trans women male. Now, that's a fact. It's not, you know, and that's their, that's their bar for, for, you know, they can't even talk in real real language they can't even talk about what they're legislating for because they're into that um yeah not being able to talk about certain um issues and um yeah that's just to me that's insane like you have to be able to name things and discuss them in order to make good law yeah this would be another massive rabbit hole but i often <laughs> will speak about the control of language um mm. that is is often well the use of language is often too control and you touched on it earlier about terms mm. being used so people being called bigots transphobic whatever it is that mm. that phobic is is a very big use yeah. uh, will get used a lot these days just to shut people down um mm. and i hear it in the parliament maybe on one of them at times but you end up with a sort of nonsensical babble yes. and it's like i i don't understand what any of this actually means and we're not you know you and i are not stupid people but it's just terms that are made up um, yeah. But it almost becomes, coming back to an earlier part of the topic, it's almost like a religious dogma. It, it yes. just can't be questioned because it's being yeah. used. And it's like, well, yeah. well, hold on a moment. Yeah. yeah. But these people uh, have been brainwashed. Like the whole select committee, none of them, they were all squirming when I was saying what I was saying because what I was saying was absolutely true, absolutely reasonable, based in fact, based in science. Um, trans women are male. If they weren't, they wouldn't be trans. Um, if they were women, they, you know, they would just be women, but they're trans women, therefore they've transitioned, therefore they're male. Um, that's a fact, but it's a transphobic fact apparently to say it. And I, I draw the distinction of, of obviously I wouldn't bail up someone on the street and say it to their face, um, but when you're talking at a, at a group level, talking politically about law, we have to be able to say it. Um, and amazingly, you know, a lot of, um, and if you watch the um, submissions, a lot of um, transsexuals, who have actually gone through the, the hormones and surgery changes, they support our position because, you know, you don't go through all those hormonal changes and surgery changes and not know that you've had those done because your body is male and you have to have those changes done in order to present as female. Um, so they actually are completely okay with material reality and who they are. Um, it's those that have bought into this new religion um, that struggle with the reality. And, and as you're talking about the control of language, that's this is one of the big things. To even have to say, you know, trans woman, it's giving the word woman um, to a group of people who are male. And actually, we need the word woman to describe the female sex. Um, but this new language has us caught up in not even being able to talk about women to mean adult human females. Now we're either cis women or we're cervix havers or we're menstruators. So it's a complete deconstruction. And like you were saying earlier, it's, a, it's an erasure of, of the reality of the half of the human population. Yeah, which, and for me, that's been one of the really critical parts. As I said, was it an American senator who I'm not even going to give the dignity, I must admit, of naming? Um, <laughs> they annoy me. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, people who menstruate, 
And it's mm. like, okay, so firstly, you're just defining someone by their, their bodily um, reality. So, you know, mm. there's that. Uh, mm. And so there's more to being woman than as I understand it, certainly. And it's yeah. like, oh, my God, we can't even use that term. And yet the second part to it all, Beth, is that this doesn't seem to happen to men. We are not um, people who produce sperm. Never, uh, I haven't never. seen the male equivalents to all of this no. yet. No, there isn't. Um, and, and this is why they, they pretend that we have to say people who menstruate because some trans men, now in this new queer theory world, a trans man is actually a female, right? So a, a trans man is a female and um, they, they menstruate because they're female. So that supposedly we say people that menstruate when we want to be inclusive and include trans men, um, but really that's not what it's about at all. It's about not upsetting the males, the trans women, who get triggered and angry when women are referred to as having periods because they don't and never will have periods and therefore um, they can't tolerate periods being associated with being female, with being woman. Um, and that's what it's really about. And that's why, it, you know, they don't have that pushback against the prostate cancer issues and, you know, being called ejaculators because it doesn't concern them because it's not their category, they're in the woman category that, yeah, we can't talk about. Yeah, I just, I just find it, the absurdity is mind-boggling and yet this gets traction. And the other element of it all too is, it's all put in the language of inclusivity, mm. which at a level um, makes sense. But to include mm. uh, this group of people is ultimately excluding a number of women. And sports for me is the perfect example. So if a trans uh, trans woman, woman. Got a, yeah, apologies if I get my language wrong. Right. I'm getting confused now. But, That's um, confusing. Then a woman, <laughs> yeah, doesn't get to win. That's right. That and ex yeah. Yeah, and even if they even if they don't win, like Laurel Hubbard at the Olympics, now Laurel didn't win, but a woman wasn't selected, didn't get a place because he stood on that podium or he stood in that in that competition. So yeah, they exclude it. Um, they get excluded at that level, um, but they self exclude. And, and that the, the the part that gets to me the most is since forming Speak Up for Women, um, I've had hundreds of private messages from women, hundreds. Um, and they share their stories and they won't speak publicly and they don't even want me to use their name um, and they tell me their stories. And there's this stuff happening in New Zealand already. So one example, just one example, a mother got in touch. Her 10-year-old daughter um, was at the swimming pool, went into the changing room after her, her swim, and there was a male-bodied person naked in the changing room. So she came out, told her mother. They went and spoke to the, um, the management the management went in, um, came back out and said that person is transitioning, whatever whatever that means, they're transitioning. So, you know, they are a woman, so we can't do anything about that. So this is a policy moving ahead even of the law in New Zealand. And so now that girl goes home in wet togs uh, because she won't go into the changing room um, because, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution has taught young girls to, you know, not be alone with naked men. Um, 10 year old girls um, and so now not only does she go home and wear togs but she's also been told that she's somehow wrong and that she's probably a bigot or you know it's akin to like having an issue deep down and it's her problem um, so that's just messing with it and so I get dozens of those and I could just ramble on but that's the one that really upsets me the most because she's so young um, but girls, well it's um, how it warps yeah. it, it warps reality so not only are yeah. we 
trumping real, reality belief. It actually begins to to warp reality in a way that's not helpful. And the other it's side, dangerous. oh, incredible! Look, incredible! Yeah. Yeah. It comes right back to our first point. If you actually detach things from reality, yeah. from science, from biology, from empirical, you're in trouble. Yeah, because it's not even that he might, well, you know, that person, naked person, would be a threat to her. But by by breaking down her boundaries by teaching her not to use her senses and not to recognise male people. That's my real concern is because, you know, women need to recognise male people and we do. There's 3,000 biological markers externally visible and we can clock a male, you know, 100 metres off, like just by how you walk. You know, we can by how you walk. <laughs> like we survive by doing that, you know, and telling yeah. our young girls that actually they're not doing it right anymore. That's That's dangerous, yeah. And also some of that's evolved for good reason to protect women. Of course it has. Men are troublemakers, put it incredibly diplomatically. So it's it's evolved for a reason. Yeah, there's biological imperatives there. And look, yes, as a society, we do need to move beyond our animal, um, you know, existence. And yes, we do want to have a higher purpose and all that good stuff. But you don't make it happen just by pretending it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. So what's happening then to, like, Feminism to me is almost, I, I can't think of the right analogy, Beth, but it sort of, it, 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 it got off the ground. I'm probably going for an, air, an airline analogy. It got off the ground. It made great <laughs> momentum into the 70s and into the mm. 80s. And mm. I, I don't want to overcook this. You didn't get the perfect equality and all of that. But mm -mm. Moving in the right direction. And now it seems to be going backwards quite aggressively. <laughs> um, it jumped the shark, Simon. It, it is jumped that the, the shark. <laughs> I just don't it. Clearly. <laughs> No, that's, that's that's literally from Happy Days. Like that's not oh, even that's not even like New Age chat. Um, yeah, I am so bad at this stuff. <laughs> um, yes, I have. Like, honestly, um, feminists, mainstream feminists, a lot of the and this comes back to where does the funding come from? Who who is in power? And where's the influence coming from? Because grassroots radical feminists um, like speak up for women we are forming and, you know, this is a new wave of feminism that you're witnessing, um, but the entrenched organisations like the National Council for Women, um, they were captured early on by this ideology and it was no mistake, it was no mistake that these, um, the, all these organisations were captured, it was very deliberate and they all came out and said, yes, trans woman and woman, we need to be inclusive. And so feminism became sort of this for everybody, this liberal feminism, it became a for everybody um, feminism and not only that and this is a whole other thing that'll probably upset your listeners entirely but um, you can edit this part out but another big trench of um, liberal feminism that happened was um, this um, sex positivity and body positivity um, so not body positivity sex positivity uh, where um, you know women became sexually liberated so they could go out and have as much sex as they wanted and it could be as kinky as they wanted and as long as they were choosing to do it it was all good positive stuff but this coincided with the rise of um, violent pornography and you look at what's happened with Grace Milan so now you've got young liberal feminists going out and saying that they like being choked and they like this and they like that and it's all um, it's sort of really um, not necessarily liberating and progressive from a collective feminist perspective um, but you know it becomes um, <laughs> I'm totally ranting you. I know you're going to cut this. Again, liberal Oh, no, no, no. Actually, no, I think yeah. you touched on something incredibly. Yeah. It's this funny convergence of how one almost celebrates their own slavery at times. It's that's a bizarre... exactly what it is. And it's exactly, and that's that's so right because another strand of it is um, uh, 
we're called TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and going hand in hand with that is SWERF, which is a sex worker exclusionary radical feminist. And Probably so, didn't even know about that one either. Jump the yeah, shark and SWERF. Right. Yeah, look up SWERF. So basically, you know, a lot of feminists say um, sex work isn't work. We say it's prostitution and it's not empowering or liberating for females to be sold um, for sex. Um, and we don't see, like, we... Um, we like the Nordic model, which sees that um, sex work, prostitution is criminalised, but that the sex workers themselves are, are not criminalised. So it, it supports them getting out of the trade. It supports them being rehabilitated. It means that if they are raped or beaten on the job, that they can go to the police because it's not them you know, it's not them that's done something wrong, it's the John. It switches the power and puts the power in the hands of the prostituted woman. Um, but um, this liberal feminism that says, yay, sex works, you know, great and sex positive, they they um, want decriminalisation, no, which is what New Zealand has, um, which has been a disaster for women. I'll get some, I'll, get, I'll have another podcast with you if you want to go there. Um but, you know, they, so they're all for sex work, they're all for sex positivity, they're all for being inclusive and saying that, you know, any male that says he's a female is and so should be, um, you know, given women's um, spaces and scholarships, et cetera. So, um, yeah, feminism has gone horribly wrong, basically. Mm. Um, oh, it's turned but, it feels like it's turned in on itself. It's, it's almost allowing men to re-dictate what they want, but just remanaging the language yeah, to get a whole yeah. group of women to buy into it. Well, now you've got men calling themselves feminists and leading their agenda. And you look at male feminists talking about, you know, how liberating sex workers and, you know, how trans women are women. And, um, and a lot of the issues are like the feminists you're talking about from the 1970s, a lot of them have rumbled out of retirement to join Speak Up for Women because they are in their 70s and 80s, you know, and that kind of, or uh, well, the late 60s up to the 80s. And, you know, that kind of put their feet up and gone, you know, job well done. We've got, we're in the boardroom, we've got pay equality or near enough, you know, getting there. Um, but they have been shocked to their core to see what, what the um, generation of feminists after them have done. And it's when... Um, gender studies took over women's studies. So all the women's studies departments in the universities disappeared and it became gender studies. And it, they started teaching this 1950s queer theory, postmodern version of gender. Um, and that that is what the like younger feminists have grown up. Um, they've been taught it at uni. So, yeah, it's gone horribly wrong and, and the old guard have to sort of <laughs> come well, out of retirement. Well, maybe that's a good segue actually into how you guys have been, and you've touched on some of it with the uh, use of terms like turf and bigots and that, to actually turn to how you guys have been treated, but also mm. what this sort of means in that free speech context. Because mm. I have been struck of some of the, I think you use the term old guard, so the mm. older guard have come out, um, and the attacks on them. I mean, these have been some mm. of the, the, as I have seen the names and various submissions mm. and so mm. forth, that mm. these are names of who really led the, the, the feminist movement, some for the early gay, lesbian, homosexual reform, these yeah. have pushed hard and now they are being slammed and mm -hmm. it's nasty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they slammed us really hard because they need to um, crush us because we're mostly almost exclusively left-wing and real feminists. And if we're allowed to talk, um, this ideology comes unstuck. Um, because it's painted, opposition to this ideology is painted as a conservative Christian right-wing um, dinosaur resistance. Um, and when 
left-wing lesbian feminists um, talk, we have to be crushed. Um, and so we're called TERFs and bigots and transphobes and bitches and witches. And these are all words that have been printed in the media about us. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, sorry, what was the question? I just, it's so Oh, no, it's just, <laughs> well, you've actually touched on it in the first part yeah. is really just the nasty terms being thrown at yeah. you, but also yeah. that it's that people like yourself and others have been at the forefront of mm. equal rights and some mm. who only a few years ago would have been incredibly respected for that work and now been yes. thrown on the yes. bonfire, if you yeah. will. It's just yeah. awful. Yeah, yeah, we have to we have to go up in flames so that this ideology can continue to to exist unquestioned. Um, because yeah, the feminist analysis um that that those women, I mean, I'm not gonna put myself in their category. I've just, you know, I'm the, I'm just learning from these um Women. I mean, names like Sandra Cooney, um, Phila de Bunkle, uh, Prue Heyman, you know, these these are some of New Zealand's most prominent um, feminists that have spoken up against sex self-identification. Um, so yeah, I'm just learning learning from them. And um yeah, we've we've all just have to we all just have to be bigots so that this law can continue. It's probably not much of a consolation, but I often feel when when people have resorted to name calling, um, you know that they've actually lost the argument. They've, they've mm. got nothing better to do. But mm. that said, being called transphobic or bigoted or whatever, I, I suspect a whole lot of terms that we won't be able to share here. Um, <laughs> it's still not a very comfortable place to be. And the no. irony, of course, is that these are people who also talk about tolerance and, and respect. Kindness. Oh, honestly. Not kindness. Been, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to sent, avoid the K word. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I've been sent death threats by the by the be kind New Zealanders. Um, you know, and they think that they're being. They think that they're doing the right thing. Um, yeah, like I, that's the thing that really gets to me is they really actually believe. Um, they believe what they've been indoctrinated in this kind of idea that sex doesn't matter and um, it shouldn't. It should never matter. <laughs> it's just not real. Which I suppose is that free speech side to me. That surely we should live in a society which allows a variety of. Views and they'll get heated and robust at times. But what you seem to be and others within your group are experiencing is that mm. cancel culture effect. They're trying to shut you mm. down. You're not even allowed to have um, a voice. So I don't know if you mm. had any thoughts around that. Yeah. So it's it's been I never had, and this is why I say you know it's really opened my eyes to the bigger issues and that this isn't a left or right thing anymore. Um, because um, our political opponents uh, called us transphobic and bigots and a hate group. Um, and then they are really motivated to to write to people about how hateful and awful we are. So when we organised our speaking tour around New Zealand, at the moment we published the venues on our website, um, the, this small um, activist group started contacting the venues, um, telling them that all the you know that we were all these horrible things, uh, and pressuring them to cancel us. And <laughs> And like a house of cards, they all caved into it. And we've seen all the OAAs, you know, and they've spoken to their lawyers and they've got had the police run background checks on us and they've they've done all of these things. And of course, you know, I'm just a Christchurch rangy girl. Like there's I'm not, you know, police check's not gonna turn anything up. Um, but you know, these streams and streams of internal conversations where they've basically decided that because the small group of people have said these things about us, it must be true or no smoke without a fire. And so Christchurch um library just pulled our booking three days before the event. Um, Dunedin did the same. Then um, 
Palmerston North did, and, and we've just seen their IOIA. One of the reasons that they said that they, you know, should do it was because Christchurch had done it. So it becomes this kind of, you know, it feeds on itself. If one person cancels us, somebody else uses that to legitimise cancelling us. And we ended up having to go to the High Court. Uh, we took Palmerston North um, and Auckland City Council to the High Court, um, and the judge ruled that they had seriously or grossly breached our Bill of Rights that no reasonable or rational person could call us a hate group. I mean, it was just a resounding victory. Um, And I sort of, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I I sort of naively thought that that was a great great victory, you know, that now we had this sort of proof that we aren't hateful. But um, I now realise it's it's just going to keep happening. Like the Herald wouldn't run our ads uh, because we were trying to, make the public aware of the consultation on sex self-identification which you know is now closed and no one will know about it because there was literally no media about it so we ran a big advertising campaign and no one allied press in the south island ran our ads but you know um nz herald wouldn't run them um they were you know saying that even though it didn't breach the advertising standards authority and literally all it said is woman adult human female they didn't want to run it and it was so, yeah, free speech is, is in real dire straits on this issue. And going to court doesn't seem to fix it. No, well, well, without breaking the comedy between Parliament and the courts, I just sort of wonder where the, the courts in the future will go around a lot of this stuff. Um, but that'll probably flow out of the laws too. But mm, mm. that's why I wanted to, to raise it is hopefully for the variety of listeners is that they can understand just how grave, if I don't want to overcook it, that the threat is to free speech. That, you know, here is, you know, Beth and a group of women Mm. who wanted to talk about being women, mm. um, and yeah. and, and yeah. they're being stopped um, yes. by gut, gutless gutless um, civil leaders and bureaucrats. It just it actually makes me quite quite annoyed. In fact, I think mm. it was Wellington, I, and I think it was your group, but there was pro, <clears throat> excuse me, protesters outside um, basically abusing the women going into mm. one of your events. And I thought to yes. myself, gosh, it would have only been a few years ago that the, hi- the headlines would have been utterly different. Mm. Uh, the headlines were just how this hateful group were having a meeting mm. and how these brave mm. people were standing outside. And you go, yeah. brave people abusing women. Yeah. And yet yeah. somehow the, me- the media thought, oh, this is okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because we know all the, the media now are just those young kids out of uni that have all, you know, <laughs> been steeped in the same queer theory you know they literally none of those journalists get it they just don't even want to talk to us to understand it um but yeah back to that free speech point that you made it's it's actually scary it's so scary because I feel like we're saying something quite rational um we know if you just look at um the poll uh vote compass that came out just before the election um tv1 I think ran it vote compass and it was um they asked like 200,000 people, they answered, you know, should people be allowed to self-identify their sex? And the majority of New Zealanders said no. This is even after all of the, you know, uh, sort of leveraging towards passing this law and all the great positive media coverage that's been around um, people having these identities. Um, and yet Kiwis don't want this. They they, they don't agree with it. Um and so, you know, to say that sex is real and that it matters um, or that it sometimes matters uh, isn't controversial and New Zealanders agree. And and yet, uh, yeah, we get cancelled, we get called hate groups and we get shut down. And, and to not be able to say that freely in your own country 
it actually calls into question not just free speech, but actually just, uh, just democracy, like the whole how we're actually living together. Oh, I, I think it does. But you, I think, again, for what my opinion is worth, I think you identified the reason early on is you, you're a threat and so you have to be crushed. Mm. And therefore, um, when you do speak up, uh, the response has to be very aggressive uh, mm. and very vocal in order to, to keep the charade going mm. that, and to shut down any any opposition because it's not mm. just about, again, it's not just about them saying that you can't speak. They're also trying to send a signal out into the community, which is why um, I'd suggest you get those hundreds of women messaging you anonymously. I find in mm. my own line of work, it's probably one of the aspects which disturbs me the most as I move about my electorate or around the country, the number of people across a variety of issues who will come up to me um, to talk, mm. but they don't want, I, I just can't say mm. this, Simon, to anyone mm. in public, I'd, I'd mm. be attacked. And you go, what sort of society are we living in where yeah. you can't even talk about some of the most basic aspects of being human? That's it. And, like, if, if we were wrong, explain to us how we're wrong. But, but calling us hateful and bigoted, it doesn't shift how we think. And every time you do it, we grow stronger because more and more people contact us. And it was embarrassing. Throughout our campaign, as we got moved on from venues and cancelled, we were getting more donations than we could spend because the media weren't allowing us to run our ads. <laughs> so we've got, <laughs> you know, yeah, we are just, we've got so much support and nobody, very few people, um, prepared to publicly speak out. And I'm going to say right now, um, obviously you're you're different, although you're not necessarily, well, this podcast will be maybe a first, but national in general have just been so cowardly on this issue because, you know, nobody from national has stood up and said, hey, sex matters. And, you know, you guys supported this bill at a second reading. Um and I really hope, I really hope, having watched the submissions, we actually analysed the submissions, 75% of them were opposed, only 25% supported. New Zealand, look at Vote Compass, New Zealanders don't want this. Um, you guys have to stand up and just say, this isn't right. Like, park this bill um, or take sex self-identification out of it and let the poor bill pass. It needs to, it needs to pass so we can digitalise our death records. But... Um, take sex self-identification out of it, you know, and like what an easy win for national. Look at all the conservative politicians overseas standing up and saying, hey, you know what, sex is real. These women have a point. Um, it's not going to lose you any more supporters. Well, the experience of women is real, just as the experience of men is real. And yeah. For me, so much of this comes back. There's multiple reasons why I've got major, major problems with it. Um, mm. One that keeps striking me is, again, uh, that word erasure, uh, mm. women and women's experiences are being um, yeah. Yeah. erased. And, and it's experiences like, around childbirth and all of that, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. And childbirth is a good example. I know some people will often debate with me, and they're welcome to, it's just saying, well, you know, not all women get pregnant and so forth. You know, yeah, we mm. understand that yeah. for in, yeah. in, in individual levels, but you've touched on it a few times, Beth. When we're at a lawmaking and a broad level, mm. um, that's something quite yeah. profound yeah, um, it's quite but, important to have a word yeah, for that yeah. group of people that have that function or that capability. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I just, well, I, yeah, I know it's 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 toxic and it's dynamite and it's the culture wars that national probably don't want to go into. Um, but it it's 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 also easy pickings 
you know, there's, there's, there is people like Rosie Duffield um, or um, uh, Senator Claire Chandler in Tasmania. I, I mean, know just, Claire well. She's great. She is storming it. She is speaking up for women over there. And honestly, like, come on, Judith. Like, she knows it. <laughs> she, I know she agrees. She just needs to say it. Yeah, you know, that's my two um, cents. Feel free to no, cut it. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. this gets cut. I'm a great proponent of um, free speech and more conversations. Yeah. In fact, the more yeah. difficult topics become, mm. the more conversations needed. And I think it's yeah. the, the mm. growing paradox in Western societies that mm. we don't. We shut things mm. down. Mm. So no more conversations better. In fact, you've reminded me to chase uh, Claire back up. I've asked her to come on the, the podcast oh, as well, so I'm going to have to track her down. But We'll yeah. we'll leave it there, but Beth, thank you okay. so much for making the time. Uh, for me, it was really important, despite me speaking for some of it, uh, to have <laughs> your voice and representing Speak Up for Women uh, to be heard. Um, and let's keep the conversation going. And thank you for the advocacy that you uh, and the others continue to lead. Thanks, Simon, for the opportunity to talk to you. And I hope I haven't shocked you and your listeners too much, but I'm delighted to talk more at, at any time. Thank you. I'm happy to say I have, I have a broad range. There'll be some who think this is absolutely uh, amazing that we've been free and frank. There, there could be the odd person scandalised by a few bits of language, but mm. that, that's actually quite enjoyable too. So, <laughs> Beth, thanks so much. Cheers. Bye.